Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. Well, we do continue in our Heroes series, and um, this has been really fun. We've been able to look at some really neat characters. We had uh, Pastor Lucas uh, preaching earlier, and then we also had Pastor Chris, and, um, and then also just, just this last week, we had, um, we had Pastor Lisa preaching on Ruth, and that was a great message. I felt like, man, that could have been Mother's Day right there. What a great message for moms and on um, a woman who faithfully lived out her life uh, for the Lord. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak today about another woman, actually. I'm going to um, uh, talk about someone who is a heroine for us. And um, Elizabeth is who I'm going to talk about. And you know, the heroes that we've chosen to look at in the scripture are heroes that aren't perfect. That's sort of the point. They're not perfect, but they were heroic because they overcame. We get to celebrate what they overcame. And you know, it's, it's really easy to sit where we are and look back and say, wow, wasn't that neat how that all worked out? But when you live a story that requires heroic faith, when you live that kind of a story out, you know, you can't take for granted that you're going to walk through it the way that others would have. And so I think there is much to learn, much to learn from this hero series. And today we're going to look at a special yet often overlooked woman and mother. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, which is usually a December-only kind of passage. It's Christmas story passage. And, and in Luke chapter 1, um, it's you know, kind of famous for the Christmas story, but there, connects, there, there contains this unique weaving together of two women's lives as mothers. And while much focus is given rightfully to Mary, who is the mother of Jesus, and the story behind that, that uh, virgin birth, there's another mother who merits our attention, and this is Elizabeth. And she was the wife of Zechariah, who was a priest, and the mother of John the Baptist, who was known as the forerunner to Jesus, the one who came to prepare the way. And uh, Pastor Chris preached a message in this series on John the Baptist, and it was very good. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, I'd encourage you, take a listen to it along with the other ones. But, um, you know, we look at Jesus's life and even his conception, and it was miraculous. But there's very little that was actually ordinary or normal about John the Baptist uh, being conceived as well. So what is it that the Bible teaches us about Elizabeth? Well, Elizabeth is only spoken of in this first chapter in Luke, but we do learn quite a bit about her in that chapter, if you read it carefully. Uh, She and Zechariah are both Levites. They're both children, direct descendants of Aaron, who was the priest, Moses' brother, who became the priest, the the great high priest, and and, um, Zechariah was also a priest, and Elizabeth was known as a daughter of Aaron, which means she lived in a priest's home. She grew up in a priest's family, and uh, so she was the daughter of a priest. So their lineage is rich, and it's full of spiritual history. It can be traced all the way back to Aaron, and their responsibilities were also defined. And I think it's important to mention these things, and I'll tell you why in a couple of different places in the message 
But if you look into Malachi chapter 2, you find there a clear understanding of the responsibility of the priest. It says this, the words of a priest's lips should preserve the knowledge of God. And people should go to him for instruction. For the priest is the messenger of the Lord of heaven's armies. So now when, when Luke begins to start his gospel, he brings the priest, Zechariah, and the priest's wife, the daughter of, the, of priests, before you as a way to validate and to also create a baseline for the fact that what I'm sharing with you is true. Why? Because it's their job to preserve the knowledge of God. It's their job to give clear instruction as a messenger of heaven. So Luke sets this parallel together, Mary's story, because who can really believe the story of a young woman? But it parallels it with Elizabeth's story and Zechariah, who in Jewish culture would have been held in high regard. So Elizabeth likely grew up with a wealthy um, scriptural knowledge, deep understanding of God's principles and the law. And she would have been exposed to even more teaching as the wife of Zechariah. So in our context, she was the pastor's wife and the pastor's daughter. She kind of got it both ways. So I want to talk about her heroic qualities for a few minutes. Um, and I'm mindful that today is Mother's Day. And although this is a Mother's Day message, it's not a message only for mothers. So I'm, I'm hopeful that all of us can lean in and learn together as we look at the life of Elizabeth. Look, let's look at some of the heroic qualities as we continue in our series on heroes. Number one is that Elizabeth was a true believer. We know from earlier in the chapter that she and Zechariah were both, as the scriptures say in verse 6, righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Again, their character was on display. Their character is key to the validity of the story. And then the next verse gives us the second quality of Elizabeth, and that is that Elizabeth lived her life through the pain. I respect people who live through pain. You know, I, I have this fond memory of a man in our church who uh, wore a, a very thick, heavy back brace all the time. And he was injured in the war. And I used to hug him. He was very warm, very affectionate, very lovely man. But he would always smile. And one time I overheard him talking with my mother about his back. And she asked him, does your back hurt? And he said with a smile, all the time. All the time. You see, there's something about people who live their life through the pain. It's admirable. It, it is even heroic. But the pain that Elizabeth experienced wasn't necessarily physical. The Bible says this in verse 7. Although in verse 6 we learn that they were blameless and righteous, verse 7 says, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. That's not a very nice thing to say, is it? Very old. You are very old. That's not a nice thing to say, especially on Mother's Day. But the verse is quite interesting because he's making a point. The ship has sailed. The opportunity is gone. It is over. 
Maybe there were times in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth where hope remained, but now they have come to a place where all there is is pain. And I want to be sensitive today that there may be people in the house this morning that have had a similar pain in their lives. Families that have remained childless, husband and wife who have suffered without the love of a child in their life. And so with great compassion and sensitivity, I will continue this message, but I want you to understand that there is love and compassion and family for you here. And I don't just say that. I experienced it. And I do experience it. This is my family. 1,800 miles away from my extended family, my parents down in Arizona, Every winter, I hate them for it. <laughs> I don't hate them. I'm just kidding. But my, you know, my need, my pain, my challenge has all been met with the beauty of family, but not my family, this family. And so I know what God does and what he can do with the church. And I believe in the church. And I want to thank you for being family to me. Elizabeth was both godly and barren. And in some ways, that doesn't seem to fit in our lives, does it? In fact, it was even worse for them than it might be for someone today because this personal pain was made so much worse by the societal conclusions that were drawn as a result of barrenness. You see, they lived in a day when the Jewish rabbis would teach a Jew who has no wife or a Jew who has a wife and no child has been excommunicated from God. The common thought was God is angry with you. You've obviously done something wrong. And so not only is there the pain of feeling barren, of being barren, there's also the societal conclusions that are drawn about your life, about your value, so in other words, Elizabeth's pain wasn't just hers alone. Zachariah felt it as well. And they would have prayed together and had to fight through the pain of isolation and shame and judgment that would have fallen on them as a couple. Yet they lived heroically as Zachariah continued his public priestly duties. And can I encourage you today? Let me encourage you. Sometimes the most heroic thing to do is to simply keep on living. And for some of you, you're in a new space, you're in a new season, you're in a difficult place. Maybe you're even today here with an area of deep pain, confusion, loss. Can I encourage you? Sometimes the most heroic thing that you can do is simply keep on living. Let me encourage you, keep living. Our God is the God of the impossible, and you can trust him with the most tender places in your life. He's faithful, and he loves you. You know, I don't think it's a mistake that Elizabeth is named Elizabeth. The name Elizabeth means God keeps his oath. <laughs> I just want you to allow the irony of that to settle on you. Here's this aged woman, and to this point is childless. And, 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 and you know, every time she heard her husband whisper her name, she had to trust again that her name still had meaning. After every prayer, can you imagine 
precious Zachariah saying, let's keep praying, Elizabeth. Let's trust a little longer, Elizabeth. God keeps his oath. God keeps his oath. And then through many long seasons of barrenness, the story's only a story because something changes. Then the miracle comes. And here's what happens. Zechariah, who was a priest, he was one of the direct descendants of Aaron. And not only was he a priest, friends, there were like 20,000 priests in 24 different divisions. A lot of priests. Way too many priests for the work that needed to be done. So a priest would actually only serve in that priestly capacity two times a year for one week. Two times a year. Other than that, they would celebrate some of the festivals and help the people in varied synagogues and so on. But their work in the temple, their work in Jerusalem, they were allowed to come and work there once, uh, sorry, for one week, twice a year. And so it just so happened that the division that Zechariah was in was on duty. And now there's a various number of jobs. And they would cast lots, which is sort of like drawing straws. They would cast lots to discover who's going to get what job. And the lot fell to Zechariah to burn incense on the altar of incense. This was a wonderful honor. See, because that incense represented the prayers. Before every offering, every, every um, burnt offering in the morning and evening, and before and after each one of those offerings in morning and evening, they would burn incense. And while they burned incense, people stood outside praying. Because it was a time in which they believed they had God's attention. And so before the sacrifice, they would send up this incense as like smoke into, into the heavens for the Lord to smell because it was a beautiful fragrance. And so they were trying to bring the sacrifice to God with sweetness. And so he got this great honor and there were certain things that he would recite as he went in there and he would take very careful attention and put the coals on the altar, burning the incense. This was a wonderful opportunity. It was actually the opportunity of a lifetime. Most priests never got chosen for this job, but he did. And he would have been really excited. It was a big day, but he gets interrupted while he's in there by an angelic visit. Now, This is the angel Gabriel who comes to him, but I want to make a point here. God has not spoken to his people in 400 years. Silence. From the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of this story, nothing. And the angel of the Lord shows up and speaks to Zechariah. Zechariah, the one who is dealing with the shame and the isolation and the judgment He shows up to him at just the right time, in just the right moment, in just the right place, where he has his attention, where he's alone with him, and he's completely interrupted. And the angel Gabriel says, the Lord has heard your prayers, and he's bringing you an answer. And your wife is going to have a son, and you are to give him the name John. And here's his job, kind of spells it out. Zechariah was dumbfounded, literally, but not quite yet. And he didn't know what to say or what to do. And so in this moment where he moved from offering prayers to interacting with an angel, he said, how is this possible? You, it's kind of the Abraham thing, right? It's the, it's the, we're too old for this, right? And the angel Gabriel responds in such an interesting way. He says, since you didn't believe, you're now going to be mute until his birth. So now, can I just be, this isn't Father's Day, 
We're not going to... We're not gonna, usually on Mother's Day, we say how wonderful all the moms are. And then on Father's Day, we say, come on, guys, you can do better than that. Right? It's not Father's Day. It's next month. But when you think about Zechariah, can we just not throw any judgment out there? Because I, I think what was happening here was Gabriel said, out of Zechariah's question came a response. And the response is, you need more faith. So here's going to be the sign that I'm doing this off, right? It was a sign. It became a picture. He came out and everybody knew something had happened. He wasn't making it up. He couldn't speak. There was an encounter. And the, the picture, of it, the visible picture of it was what happened with his voice. And so I'm not here to judge Zachariah. I'm here to say, ma'am, he certainly saw something. And the guy who was known to have sound judgment, to know the commands, to teach the people, could say nothing. Why? Because God was doing something new. God had to teach him in the silence. There were things that Zechariah had to learn. So he comes out, and he's totally overjoyed, but he can't say anything. He comes out from burning the incense. He's unable to speak, but he finishes his week of duties, and he goes home, and he tells Elizabeth the whole story. Can I just do a side note for just a minute? I love where Zechariah was when he heard God's message. He was in God's house. And I just love it and just have to make the point, I am a pastor, so bear with me. Thanks for coming to church today. Thank you for being here. It's not nearly as fun if you're not here. I've been here when there's no one here. It's not fun. It's way more fun when you're here. And not only that, coming to church is great. It's great for friendship. It's great for learning. It's great for your kids. There's so many benefits. But listen, my friend, it's so much more than that. You see, God speaks in his house. And the message came to him in the house of God. God provides a focused time in his presence, away from the regular routine, where you can worship and where you can simply sit in the presence of the Lord. You can sit under his word. It's a different flow from the rest of the week. And that is an amazing environment for encounter with God on a deeper level. And so... Church is where it's at. Somebody should make a t-shirt. Coastline t-shirt. Church is where it's at. I like it. Okay, back to the story. I said it was a side note. Back to the story. Verse 24. After this, after he finishes his work, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. Remember, she's very, very old, and now she's pregnant. And, and, and so their response was bed rest. Like, let's be careful here, right? Here it is. For five months, she remained in seclusion. It's like, I'm just going to take it easy. I, I can't bear a loss. I, I, I'm going to just trust the Lord in the quiet. I'm going to sell I'm going to savor every moment. They just went away, and they remained in seclusion. And here's what Elizabeth says. And this bears truth with what I've been saying about the shame and the guilt and the isolation. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. It's powerful. It's beautiful. Here's one thing the Bible forgot to record. The Lord has done this for me, and my husband can't speak for nine months. Hallelujah. That's missing. 
It was an oversight. I, I think it was there. It's in the fine. It's in the. It's in the Greek. It just didn't get translated. <laughs> you might be here today and going, "This is a great story. It's turning out great for Elizabeth." But why aren't my prayers answered? I've been praying prayers, maybe not directly about this, but maybe there's an area of barrenness. Maybe, And, and, and I've, I've said this before, but let me just say it again. Unanswered prayers have many factors. And I got to say, the rabbis weren't right. You having barrenness in your life is not because you're under God's judgment. You know, you having barrenness in your life doesn't just equal one thing. It's many factors. I want you to understand this. It can be testing. I think, imagine Elizabeth and Zachariah's test. Tests, the Bible says, create perseverance. Isn't that a wonderful gift? Isn't it wonderful to have perseverance in your life? Man, I sure think so. Sometimes delay is the most common test of all. We're just waiting, and it takes too long. I was just reading in our one-year Bible, reading about Saul waiting for Samuel, and he got tired of waiting, and so he did something he shouldn't. Delay is often a common test from God. Can it be sin? Yeah. Can my prayers go unanswered because of sin? For sure. Disobedient block, disobedience blocks my prayers. The Bible also says that if I'm harsh with my wife, my prayers are hindered. There are places in the scripture where we can see, yeah, my disobedience can equal God's Silence. But I think the third one, the third thought here is the most common. And that is that God has something else in mind. He just has something else in mind. God is good. And he has good plans. And sometimes the things that we see from our limited place don't equal what we believe the result, you know, the actual result will be. We don't see it clearly. And so God may have something else in mind. And so what we do is we pray for one thing, and then God gives us something that develops that one thing in us. And so we have to trust him in unanswered prayer. The story goes on. So the second time in 400 years, an angel shows up now, this time to Mary. And this is probably the most common uh, known part of the story, so I'm not going to spend much time on it. The angel shows up and says, Mary, you're going to have a child. How can this be? I'm a virgin. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to have a child. And, and this is a beautiful, beautiful story. Um, and this encounter is fantastic. But here's this young, unmarried girl. What is she supposed to do with this story? And so she finds herself in a very difficult spot, and so she decides, you know, i got to find somebody to talk to, somebody who would understand. So she goes to Elizabeth. Because the clue was in the angel's words. The angel said, I know this seems crazy, but listen, even Elizabeth is pregnant now. God is up to something. It says this in Luke chapter 1, verse 36 and 37. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. What does Elizabeth mean? God keeps his oath. I love that it says, no word from God will ever fail. Elizabeth is Elizabeth for a reason. In the uh, 
New King James, it says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Can we say that together? For with God, nothing will be impossible. One more time, so remember it. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Your obstacles are simply opportunities for God to get some glory. So then the verses continue. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And now we're about to see another of Elizabeth's heroic qualities. She was a picture of safety and support. You see, God entrusted her not only to be the mother, the nurturer, the educator of John, but also as he used her as a comfort to guide Mary after she had learned of the call in her own life. Mary trusted her and came for support. And now the Holy Spirit really starts working. I love the way Luke brings the Holy Spirit into things. He's the same writer who wrote the book of Acts, by the way. In verse 41, it says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says this, in a loud voice, she exclaimed. All of a sudden, there's some boldness here in this woman living in seclusion and shame. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. And then she says, this is so humble, but why am I so favored? The one who's felt so shamed, the one who's felt so judged, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promise to her. Elizabeth, God keeps his oath. Elizabeth contributed to the work of Christ in this world in so many profound ways. The Holy Spirit used her to be the first woman to ever proclaim Jesus as Lord. <laughs> and Luke included this in his gospel because he wanted to make it a clear picture. This Messiah is real. This woman is righteous, devout, and blameless. And she said so, prophetically said so, and on a human level. Think of what this support and this safety would have meant for Mary from her godly older relative. So Elizabeth raised the forerunner to the Lord, but she also taught him that your job is to announce the, the arrival of the Messiah. And just like she raised her voice that day and prophesied, John, you're gonna do it too. You're going to raise your voice and you're going to say, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You're going to be the one who proclaims. And so she invested in the son that God had given her so that the work of God could be accomplished in this world. And so encouragement to moms, your role is important. Your role is important. The safety the supportive nature of your role with your, in, your, in your children's life, in your extended family's life, in Elizabeth's case. We're so thankful for it. It's not a small thing. 
It's not a small thing. And the final thing that I want to share with you about Elizabeth was that she was brave enough to break with tradition. Because there was nobody in their whole family line named John. It made no sense to name her child John. But God said, name him John. Why? Because John means grace of God. And sure, this child was a grace from God to her to remove her shame. But isn't there a bigger picture here? God wanted the miracle present in the name of this child because John ushered in Jesus, who in turn brought grace to the whole world. John, the grace of God. So mothers, thank you for your courage in both upholding tradition, making us do all those things we don't wanna do, taking all those photos, standing still and nice, thank you for upholding tradition. But I also wanna give you courage. I wanna encourage you that some traditions are tired and old and you might feel stuck in them, you're not. Mothers, Grandmothers, you have permission to break the mold. You have permission to reestablish a fresh tradition in your own family. And I, you can tell them your pastor said so. I don't have to do that anymore. My pastor said so. So as is often the case, I have more sermon than time. But can I just give you briefly a few little rapid fire thoughts that's more about the application. If we we're just gonna look at this beautiful, beautiful woman's life, here's a few lessons. Number one, God provides. Can I get an amen for that? God provides. And maybe his first provision for you is like Elizabeth's the acceptance of where I'm at and contentment in this season right here. Receive that today. You might need that. You might not love where you are, but God provides and he's gonna provide for you right where you are because that's how good he is. So the contentment of where I am in this moment. Second lesson, comparison is a trap. It's been plaguing people for thousands of years. Just don't go there. Don't compare yourself. Don't allow others to compare you. Stop it at the gates. Comparison is such a trap. You're gonna be free from it by practicing gratitude and by celebrating with others. Thank you, God, for what I have. I value it. I'm not mourning what I don't have. I'm gonna be grateful. And I'm also gonna celebrate, God, thank you for blessing them uniquely from me. Elizabeth was able to look at Mary and say, blessed are you. I waited my whole life for a child. You're just a child having a child. She could have chose bitterness, but she didn't. She chose celebration. It kills, kills comparison. And this, this one might be the most important, friends, because this is where the message applies to everybody. Hear me on this. God can bring life into the world through each of us. Each of us. Life comes through you, through your words, through your actions. Life comes. Motherhood is a call. And today we celebrate mothers, but as we look a little deeper, 
we realize it's not everybody who's gonna bear children, but we're all called to bear fruit. We're all called to bring life. You're called to bring life. And maybe it's through motherhood, and, and if that's the case, that's a wonderful thing, but it's not the only way to be a multiplier. Maybe it's about being a mentor or writing an encouraging note or being the most encouraging person at your workplace or mending a strained relationship or investing your money in kingdom builders or sharing your faith with someone in your world. There are countless ways to bring life. And this just reflects the nature of Jesus. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, I've come to bring life and life to the full. That's what your God does. All it requires is open heart and open eyes. I wanna pray with you. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? You know, as I reflected on Elizabeth the last couple of weeks, I think Elizabeth must have felt unseen for years. For years. But... If she was here today in this moment of prayer where we stop and reflect, if she was here today, you know what she would say to every one of us? She would say, you are seen by God. He sees you. He knows where you're at. He knows your name. He knows your sorrow. He knows your needs. He knows your hopes. He knows your fears. He also hears your prayers and he loves you so much more than you'll ever know. So as we begin to pray together, listen, you're not forgotten, not abandoned. You're not alone. He's here. And the call today is real. It's a call to every single one of us, like Elizabeth, to heroic trust. That's what we're called to, beyond what we can see. So take what you need, friend. Take it from the message today. Do you need provision? Trust him for it beyond what you can see. Are you suffering with the trap of comparison? Release that and trust him beyond what you can see. Do you need God to open your eyes to where you can bring life? trust him beyond what you can see. But maybe you're here today and you need the life of Jesus in you. Elizabeth received the news of Jesus with joy. Maybe you're here today and what you need is you need to leave here knowing that your heart is safe in the Savior's hands. Bible says that Jesus actually stands at the door of that tender place knocking and saying, will you let me in? I have so much love to give to you. I have so much to share with you, so much to show you. Will you let me in? The Bible says that if you open the door, he'll come in and he will remain with you. Invite Jesus in. Just call on his name. That's what the Bible says. Call on his name. Jesus, I call on your name. Be my savior today. You know, 
Elizabeth was so touched by the Holy Spirit, something was moving in her. And maybe that's happening to you right now. You just, you feel warmed inside. You feel emotional. Listen, I want you to know it's the Holy Spirit inviting you. Give your life to Jesus and receive his love because he promises life, eternal life. So Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to learn from this valiant, heroic woman. And we pray together in Jesus' name that you would be a God who leads us to our future beyond what we can see. God, would you grant your church, every person here, heroic trust to trust you with their lives, with their needs, and with their very soul. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.